Today's scripture is Luke 11, verses 16 and 29 to 32, from 1614, in your pew Bibles. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, have, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Thank you, Rochelle. Uh, just a reminder, there is an outline in your bulletin of the message, and it may be helpful, too, to keep your Bibles open um, with this passage to, as, we, as we walk through it. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we pray for the light and power of the Spirit to shine in our minds and hearts as your word speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever asked God to give you a sign? Have you ever asked him for some kind of confirmation or proof? You've been praying about a decision you have to make or something that you're considering, and you ask God, show me. Show me what you want me to do with some kind of tangible indication, a sign. A character we think of in the Bible who was very bold with this was Gideon. In the Old Testament, three times he asked God to give him a sign to confirm what God told him to do. Or maybe you're a skeptic and you've asked God to give you a sign that he, he even exists. You want more proof from him. Asking God for a sign is not necessarily unbiblical, but what counts is our motive, what's in our hearts. And this is what lies behind our scripture story this morning. This story is a continuation of Luke 11, 14 through 28, which it's been a couple weeks since we talked about this, but this is where Jesus had, had driven out a demon and, and these people came and accused him of casting out the demon by the power of Satan. So in verse 16, it says, Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. So Jesus had two issues to deal with. He first responds to the accusation that he drives out demons by the power of Satan. And now, in verses 29 through 32, he replies to this request for a sign. The crucial idea in his response is that all of us are responsible for the light that God gives us. Each of us will be judged by the revelation and the evidence that's given to us about himself. Jesus tells his accusers how they are going to be judged and held accountable. 
because they are seeing and hearing the ultimate and the supreme revelation of God in Jesus Christ. His response to them is instructive for us. We too will be held accountable for what we know and how we respond to what we know about the living God. The story very simply shows two ways, two options to respond to this revelation that we have in Jesus. First is to resist and to reject it. When these people demand a sign from Jesus, they are putting him to the test. They're basically saying, prove to us, prove to us that you're not really a servant of Satan. Jesus has cast out a demon, and this demon took away a man's ability to speak. And when the demon left the man and the man spoke, everyone was amazed. But the enemies of Jesus accuse him of driving out the demon by Beelzebub, who is Satan himself. His enemies cannot deny the miracle. I mean, everybody witnesses it. So what they do to counteract this is to attribute his supernatural power to the devil. And this is blasphemy, inferring that the work of God is the work of Satan. They are resisting and they are rejecting who Jesus is. When they ask for a sign, they're really taunting him. Come on, Jesus, prove it. Prove it that you're from God and not the devil. Just try to do something that will change our minds and our attitudes. What were they looking for? What kind of sign did they want? They've already witnessed all kinds of miracles from Jesus. They just saw him drive a demon out of a man. They, they have seen him heal multitudes. He fed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He calmed a storm and he walked on water. What more do they want? Do they want Jesus to rearrange the stars in the sky? Do they want him to reverse the direction of how rivers flow or just create something out of thin air? Actually, they have nothing in mind. They have nothing specific. Their request is not about more evidence. The request for a sign is coming out of a hard-hearted hatred for Jesus. And what is amazing is that these are the most religious people in the world. They have the right theology. They have it all on the books. They follow all the rules of the Old Testament. They go to the temple. They go to the synagogue on a regular basis. They celebrate all the religious festivals. And yet, these religious people, when they meet the God they've been saying they worship, when they meet him in the flesh, they reject his authority and they despise him. And they prove how much they despise and hate him by fabricating lies and having him executed on a cross. Again, these are the most religious people. And what they demonstrate to us with their hard hearts is the core of sin in the human soul. 
Friends, sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is not just disobeying God's law. Doing wrong, disobeying, is a symptom of a deeper disease, a spiritual cancer of the human heart. You know, we ask the question, are human beings intrinsically, are they basically good or are they bad? And I think the Bible teaches they're both. We're both. We have the image of God stamped upon us. We are made in the image and likeness of God and there is goodness in us. And at the same time, we have a sinful nature that corrupts that image. And that sinful nature, deep down, rejects the Creator. We want to be God. We want to be in control. We want life on our terms. Sin is unbelief that leads to a desire to dispose of the authority of God in our lives. Here's what Jesus said in John 15. And again, he's speaking about these opponents. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, meaning the miracles, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. In other words, Jesus is telling his opponents, you are now more guilty of sin and more responsible for your guilt because you have heard the words of God. You have seen the miracles of God directly from him. So they are now held at a higher level of responsibility. It's like what we do with our kids. We, we don't, when we raise our children, we don't hold a four-year-old to the same level of accountability as a ten-year-old. They, they're at different maturity stages. It's the same here. Those who have more light are going to be held more accountable. And the result here is judgment. They have been given more light than anyone in history. Hebrews 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. And listen to this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the representation of the Most High God. And they saw him. They heard him. Jesus gives a couple illustrations. He takes two people from the past and he says, these people are going to witness against you. They're going to testify against you. One of them is the Queen of Sheba. 
She was a queen in what we now know as Saudi Arabia. She'd heard about King Solomon of Israel, how wise he was. So she traveled all the distance and, and, and just to come and talk to him. And, and the to- story's told in 1 Kings 10 in the Old Testament. And she tests Solomon with every difficult question she can think of. And to her amazement, Solomon answers everyone. The story says, there's nothing hidden from the king which he could not explain to her. She's overwhelmed by his wisdom. She says, I did not believe the reports I heard about you until I, with my own eyes, have seen it. This example of the Queen of Sheba is an indictment on the generation accusing Jesus because she, with such limited revelation of God, responds with faith. And then Jesus gives the example of Noah. I'm sorry, of Jonah, the prophet, and the people of Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which is in Iraq today. It was a cruel regime. And when God calls Jonah to go and preach to them, he refuses. He gets on a boat, sails in the opposite direction, he heads towards Spain. But Jonah can't get away. God puts him through some traumatic experiences and he takes the first submarine ride in history. And the huge fist swallows him and then takes him to where he's supposed to go and Jonah finally accepts his mission and when he gets to Nineveh, he preaches. He tells them, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He preaches judgment to these people. And these arrogant, proud Assyrians, they do the total unexpected thing. They believed him. And they responded. It would be like if ISIS today stopped what they were doing and admitted what they're doing was wrong and repented of it. They proclaim a fast and they pray and they put on sackcloth from the king to the lowest, poorest person. The king declares, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may yet repent and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now Jesus lifts up these examples as an indictment to his enemies. Why? Because the queen of Sheba and the Ninevites, they with such limited revelation, such limited knowledge of God, respond at such a deep level. The queen hears about the God-given wisdom of Solomon. She travels a thousand miles to hear him, but Solomon is nothing compared to Jesus. And the Ninevites, (coughs) they don't really hear much. Just some scraggly old prophet that they don't know anything about, wanders into town, says your city's going to be destroyed, you need to repent, but they act on what they hear. They repent. They bring the fruits of it. Listening to a reluctant foreign prophet. And of course, Jesus is greater than Jonah. But friends, we also see the grace of Jesus. Jesus. 
in this pronouncement. In verse 29, he says, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now Jonah, of course, he's swallowed by a huge fish. He's inside this fish for three days and three nights. In Matthew 12, Jesus elaborates as Jonah he says, it's three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the earth until he rises again. The sign of Jonah is one of death and resurrection. The sign of Jonah points to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is a sign of grace. Just as Jonah is three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, Jesus will be three days buried in the earth. Can there be a greater sign than a resurrection from the dead? It is the cross and resurrection of Christ that accomplishes salvation. It is the cross and resurrection of Jesus that validates everything he said and did. So one response to the Son of God and the sign of Jonah is to reject it, to resist it. And obviously the other response is repentance and faith. Just as the Queen of Sheba pursued and valued wisdom and truth at any cost, we have the opportunity to search and know God's revealed wisdom and truth. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. And we have a testimony of it in the Bible. Friends, how many Bibles do you have in your house? How much exposure do we have to the scriptures? We have every kind of translation. We have every kind of study Bible. What kind of stewards of it are we? Do we take it for granted? Are we neglecting it? Because that book points us to Jesus. I read about a man who came to faith in Christ and shortly afterwards was in a serious accident. He lost his eyesight, he lost his hearing, and he lost both of his hands. But he was so desperate to know the story of the Bible that he learned how to read Braille with his tongue. But we must do more than know and believe the truth. We have to respond to it. We need to respond with repentance as the Ninevites and Jonah did. Jonah repented from running away from God's call on his life. The Ninevites repent from their violence and their sin. Repentance is to change your mind. It's to change the direction of your thinking and your life. Jonah reverses things. He goes the exact opposite direction than what God told him to with a little help. He turns around, he returns, goes to Nineveh. At the deepest level, our repentance is to change the direction of our heart to resisting 
and denying our Creator to one of faith and hope and love. Instead of demanding a sign from God, we want to take what we have, the revelation we have, and let it confront us with our sin and unbelief and let it reveal to us the love and grace of God. I think we all know that part of our nature is to make excuses. We find all kinds of reasons to blame other things, to blame other people, our parents, our kids, or blame circumstances for our problems, for our unbelief, for our disobedience. Jesus doesn't accept it. He heals. He heals us by confronting us and putting to death the cancer of sin that is slowly but surely destroying us. Seek and know God's wisdom. Repent and change your mind. And then believe and follow. Just as the Ninevites believe the message of Jonah. You know, it's interesting to note that the Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites are Gentiles. They're outsiders to the revealed treasures that God had given the Jewish people. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the prophets. And yet these outsiders respond to these faint gleams of truth while the insiders shut their eyes to the full bright of day. We're going to meet them all. We're going to meet them all on Judgment Day. We're going to meet the Queen of Sheba, the men of Nineveh, the first century Israelites, and every generation before and since. And it was for them, as it was for them. The great question will be for us. What have we done with what we know? How have we responded to the light that God has given us? Every Sunday we come here and we hear this good news about Jesus. He teaches the truth. He takes upon himself the sorrow and guilt. He dies for our sins that we may have life. He comes as the Lord of glory to receive a people unto himself. What is our response? Solomon tells his Proverbs, Jonah thunders that Nineveh will be overthrown. But Jesus comes to us and says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Friends, in Christ, something and someone immeasurably greater has come than Solomon or Jonah. And we need to make the most of that. We have the opportunity to welcome Him as Savior, to repent, to trust Him as our Lord. The issue is not that we need more evidence and we need more signs. The issue is to respond to the sign and to the light that we have. So what is it today that you and I need to repent of, to change our minds about? Is it with unbelief? Or is it with a secret sin? A resentment? A habit? 
What is there in your life that is holding you back from being all God wants for you? Is there something you need to let go of that you are just grasped onto? Or are you resisting a call like Jonah did? Are you running away from the voice of God? As the girl sang this morning, we all need Jesus. We need him as a liberator to embrace his truth, to repent of our unbelief, to put our trust in him, to be forgiven and made whole and to follow. Would you pray with me? Father, would God, almighty creator, thank you for the revelation that you have given us of yourself. Thank you that you reveal yourself in creation, which Joe eloquently revealed or shared with us last week. We thank you for the word that you give us, written words in the law and the prophets and the apostles. But most of all, we thank you for your supreme revelation in Jesus the Nazarene, the word made flesh, who rose from the dead. Speak to our hearts. Show us individually as a congregation those places where we need to change our mind, where we need to change direction, and to trust you and to follow you. Make us whole. Lord, heal our brokenness. Sanctify us in your truth that we may reflect you and be like you and to be whole as you intended us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.